Hola, welcome to the G2 Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. If you're still mingling and chatting with a cuppa, please come and, and, and take a seat. There'll be plenty of time for, for some chat and some cake after if the Oreo cake is still, is still there. But I'd love to start today by telling you all a story about my great, great, great grandfather. So we're going back a very long way here. So my family is, uh, I'm sure most of you in this room will have done Ancestry.com at some point, and you can trace your family back for decades and decades and centuries and centuries. And everyone does this Ancestry.com thing, and they hope they'll find out something interesting or something really unique in their family history. And my mum did this for her family. And I kid you not, for 550 years, it goes all the way back to the same little town in South Yorkshire called Rotherham. Has anyone heard of Rotherham? Give a big bit of Rotherham. Rotherham, I think, is most famous for being sort of near Sheffield and near Meadow Hall. It's about an hour from York on the M1. That's the other way that I remember it. But um, Rotherham is a famous town for, for the old coal mining community that used to be there and they had a big mining pit outside of the town and uh, my great great grandfather was a miner there as I'm sure many people uh, around there would have been at the time and and beyond um, and mining was a dangerous task it was a back-breaking tiring hot stuffy stressful job that people do for hours on end sometimes as children as young as eight would be sent down the mines and every miner feared that one day there would be a collapse in the mine that they were in. And one day, my great-great-grandfather was caught up in one of these and lived to tell the tale. So I'd like you to imagine for a minute that you are this South Yorkshire Rotherham miner, whatever it was, 150 years ago. And imagine being there, chipping away at the coal, desperately, day on day, sweat dripping from you, dirty, looking a bit like that. That, that isn't my great-great-grandfather, but I can, I can see a bit of resemblance there with the scrawniness. But there we go. But imagine this, you're working your, you know, self to the bone, it's hard work, it's, you're coughing loads. And then one day, it happens to you. The roof collapses all around you. The rock buries you there. You're trapped in a very small part of the mine and you can't really breathe. You don't know when help is coming. You're struggling there. You're panicking as you see these rocks crumbling at your feet. You can't move. And you know that as the seconds turn to minutes and as the minutes turn to hours, the more that you fight and shout and scream and push against this rock, it just does nothing. The oxygen drains from your chest slowly and slowly. And as you're trapped in that small little mine shaft, the only thing you can think of is when will this torment end? At that point, you don't know if anyone's coming to save you. You know that maybe there's a crowd gathered outside. Maybe your, your wife and your kids have heard what's happened and they're up there and they're weeping and they're wailing and they're hoping that you'll come out, but you can't hear them. You can't hear anyone. You're suffocating slowly as the oxygen drifts away. And then in the distance, you hear a, a slight tapping at a rock. You hear some voices 
You hear some people moving some rocks. You start shouting, I'm here, I'm here, I'm still alive, I'm still breathing. And you know that your oxygen is getting lower and lower and the space feels tighter and tighter. And as these voices start shouting, we can hear you, we're coming, hold on, we're coming. They start shaking away at these rocks. They hammer them out of the way. You slowly and slowly you feel more and more air coming into your little cabin that you're in. And then with one last hammer blow, the rock goes out from in front of you and you see light piercing through the mine shaft. You see a hand reach out and welcome you and say, I'm here, I've come, I've rescued you. You see, our world today can feel a bit like my great-grandfather trapped in that mine. I doubt that anyone here will ever be trapped a few hundred feet down the ground in, in a mine in Rotherham. Something has gone very wrong if that happens. But I bet that at some point in the last few months, weeks, days, hours even, you found this world a bit much. You found it a bit suffocating. You found it like it's trapped you into certain things. There's been too many information, too much information, too many options, decisions, choices, pressures, lists and labels that have been thrust upon you. Our world today is increasingly complicated and complex uh, in the year 1900, uh, all human knowledge was doubling every century. By 1945, all human knowledge was doubling every 25 years. By 1982, all human knowledge was doubling every 12 months. And now all human knowledge ever created doubles every single 12 hours. As the, the new miners of today, the algorithms get more and more data on us and how we move and what we do. And our world feels more complex and complicated and stressful and tense than ever before. In the UK alone, our use of mobile data on our phones to, to use the internet I'm going to geek out because I work in, in telecoms. In 2011, uh, we used five petabytes, that's one million gigabytes of data a month in the UK. So that's 2011, five petabytes. And they made an estimate that this would increase to 20, in 2021 to 57, from five to 57. But the reality of the amount of data that we consumed in the UK alone was 571 petabytes in 2021, 10 times more than was predicted. And by 2030, we're currently on track to consume 31,000 petabytes a month of data as more and more in our lives become connected, reliant on data and information as our streaming services go mad. Uh, amidst a world which has been growing in population exponentially for the last few hundred years. Our world population in 1900 was 1.5 billion and today it's 7.7 .7 billion. So in this complex, busy world, where seven out of 10 people between the age of 18 and 40 say they feel burnt out, where 60% of people believe that no one knows them well at all. Research suggests that at some point, half of us will suffer a severe panic attack in our lives. Our world can feel trapped. We can feel like we're clawing for air, like we're struggling to breathe, struggling to know what to do or where to turn suffocating and overwhelming in a way that no previous generations have fully expressed or understood. The amount of information and choices in our world dances at our fingertips as the ultimate freedom, but so often feels like a chokehold in our mind. But amidst all this, there is an enduring hope for us all that stays constant through the chaos and confusion. Josh and Rosie today, in reaffirming their baptismal vows, have heard a voice like a rescuer breaking through a collapsed mine. Amidst the noise and the busyness and the striving and the competition for attention, there's one voice that they've heard more clearly above it all. 
One voice whose words have read truer and freer than ever. One voice that in a culture of cancellation and criticism speaks with grace and mercy. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The restful invitation of a restful saviour. Words that were given nearly 2,000 years ago into the heart of a culture that at its time was obsessed with doing, doing, doing in a desperate bid to earn its salvation, to keep up appearances in order to succeed. The invitation of Jesus Christ, God who came down to earth in a form of a man to step into that uncertainty and confusion and bring peace and truth. The invitation of one who is gentle and humble in heart, who knew with such confidence who he was and who had the infinite resources of God at his command. I don't know about you, but there's definitely been times, even in the last few years, where I can think of really being overwhelmed by what life was, was throwing at me. And I can think back to December 2020. It was um, coming up to the end. I've been studying a master's for two years part-time, uh, but doing it mostly online and obviously in COVID, it was entirely online. Um, at end of that year, it had been you know, a long old year of pandemics and lockdowns and restrictions. I've uh, been doing this master's, been doing a job as well. And I was just, it was just, life was just full for me. And then coupled with all that, we had this kind of fear about whether the Delta variant was going to surge, whether we're going to have Christmas lockdown, whether we're going to have restrictions brought in and stupid tier systems. And I've, I've lost track of, sorry to trigger everyone in the room with that. Um, but I remember saying to my wife, Sarah, who sat there, that I just felt, I just felt full. I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm busy. And she said, you're stressed, aren't you? You're stressed out. And I was like, no, I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed about this. I'm not, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, 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 I can do this. I'm high capacity. I'm high energy. I can do this. And it was just, just crushed me. And then we had this call. That was me. That was me. 10 minutes into the workday, margaritas. Y'all stressing me out. Um, but there was a point there where I was just like, it hit me. I couldn't go back to see my family for Christmas. The first year of my life that I'd never been to my hometown of Reading, that I'd never seen relatives throughout the whole of the pandemic. And it just got to me and it just hit me so hard. Perhaps your moments haven't been as intense as that. Your overwhelm hasn't been as kind of real as that. But whoever you are, whatever your personality is, at some point in the last few years, you'll have felt that way. But how does this all link into baptism? So, as we heard in those incredible vows and in those prayers that Vicky was praying earlier, we saw these guys choosing to put their hope in something stronger and more enduring than anything else the world offers. In this baptism process, as we heard it described, of going from death to life, of saying no to the old and yes to the new, this act of renewal and restoration, this passage can speak so much to us today. So let's crack, crack the words on the screen, if you will, please, from Matthew 11. And we're going to go through this and see how does this help us out today in our stressed and overwhelmed world. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. The invitation of Jesus to all people. Jesus knowing that everyone would feel at some point weary and burdened. Weary of the way that we choose to do life. Weary of the decisions we make, the situations we end up in. And burdened, fed up with the things that people have chucked on us, that have expected of us, that have demanded of us. 
Later in the Bible, Jesus describes uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, as being people who tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but will not lift one finger to help them out. That was the context in which Jesus gave these words. People that were being oppressed, people that were worn out, that were trying so hard to earn something and win something and do something for themselves, but they just couldn't. So Jesus comes, gives his invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He promises us rest. He promises this entrance into this new state of being, this free gift. Straight away, you're weary and burdened? Well, I'll give you rest. Sure, I've got the problem. I've got the solution for that. This gift of replenishment in the here and the now. And then this next line, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And a yoke is quite an interesting little uh, contraption. And I think sometimes we hear the word yoke and we can't really kind of fully kind of understand it or visualize it because we don't live in an agrarian society. Well, fortunately for you, uh, we've actually managed to construct a yoke here today. So I've got two glamorous assistants. Would you like to come and join me at the front? Little ripple for my glamorous assistants. Thank you. So this is a little bit like, do you want to get this on you? There you go. There we go. Your head's a bit big for it. There we go. So this is a little bit like what a yoke would have looked like way back in Jesus' time. So you'd have two oxen like these two oxen here, and you stick, they stick their heads in these kind of contraption bits here. And the oxen would walk, and they'd walk step in step with one another, and they'd plough the lands behind them. Come on then, yoke. Nice and slowly, nice and slowly. So the oxen would have to keep in step with one another, going at the same pace to plough the land around them. Look at this go. Are you going over the pool? I didn't think you were going to do this. You didn't do this in rehearsal. But as you can see, being yoked to someone is quite a challenge, isn't it? Staying in the same step, staying in tune with people is hard. Let's keep going back down this way. Don't do the pool thing again because I'm really worried you're going to fall in. It's hard to stay in partnership. It's hard to keep in perfect step and time and rhythm with your fellow oxen, let alone a fellow human. But look what happens. So let's keep walking. Keep walking around for me. And I want Sam, I want you to walk. I want you to walk a bit faster than Jeff. And let's see what happens. If Sam, you walk faster than Jeff. Well, we just go, we just go all over the place. We get yanked around. We get driven in circles. We get zigzagged all over the place. Walk it back in. Let's walk it back in. We give him a round of applause for our oxen today. You can see when people wear a yoke, how hard it is to keep in step. And when one of them went faster than the other one, one of them was pulling at different angles, the other one gets yanked in a certain direction, gets pulled away. And Jesus knew that the yoke that people had upon them, the things that they were partnering with, would pull them in different directions. For us today, there are things in our lives that we're choosing to put our trust in, that we're partnering in, that are leading us round and round in circles. They're leading us off in directions that we don't know where we're going. And in the midst of that confusion and uncertainty, Jesus says, I've got a yoke for you. Take it upon me. Take it upon you and learn from me. Partner with me in my yoke. Walk at my pace and we will get there. His yoke replaces the old yoke that the world has given us. His yoke replaces the old system that we've chosen to put our trust in and our faith in. He says, learn from me, trust me as your teacher, apprentice under me, walk with me, work with me, learn to follow in my footsteps and live as I live. It's a personal invitation. Take my yoke upon me. Jesus isn't selling you a yoke. He isn't offering you something that you can buy from Barnett's and take it back if you don't like it. He's saying, this is me. 
This is journeying with me in partnership. This is personal. This is together. Jesus is calling. And in the midst of this yoke, this promise, we get this line, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And I've been reflecting on this a lot this week in particular, where we've seen a world which chooses to crack the whip and roll in the tanks. And instead, Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. He offers up a warm, open hug, arms and embrace. He still wants to give us a hug. It's lovely. Jesus is sure of himself. He's gentle and humble in heart. He's sure of himself. He knows who he is. He's confident of his identity. He isn't seeking to promote himself like Pharisees. He's not seeking to prove himself. He's coming in gentleness and humility, saying, trust me, walk with me. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to exploit you. You can trust me. And then you will find rest for your souls. Again, that promise, you will find rest. And this time, you will find rest, but you will find rest for your souls. See, this isn't just, I was thinking about this, this week, like what, what does rest look like to us? For some of us, that might be, you know, having, having a day off work, like, like Vicky was describing earlier, you know, watching a TV show, having some chocolate, going out for drinks with some pals. That is a restful thing to do. Some of us, we like to maybe exercise to rest. Some of us might like to watch TV, go for a walk, be in nature. For some of us, a night away from the kids, if you can ever get that. Some of you thinking, oh, I've not had that in four years. How dare you say that, Adam? But a night away from your kids will be rest. Some of it's just a five minutes of peace in the middle of your day is rest. But you see, I could take you on a spa day. We could go to the Grand. We could get afternoon tea together. We could have some stale sandwiches and some old cakes that no one ever has. But afternoon tea, suddenly these little cakes are like the best thing you've ever had. We could do that and we could have a nice spa. We could have a massage together um, and you'd feel a bit rested. Maybe you'd find it a bit weird going on spa day with me, but um, I bet you'd find it restful in some way and chillful and chilled. But the difference between me trying to give you rest and Jesus giving you rest, is that I can't offer you a soul-level rest. I'm able to lift your spirits for an afternoon or give you a chill day out, and you know we can take some nice selfies for the gram, but I'm not giving you soul-level rest, am I? I'm not capable of doing that. Humans are not capable of doing that. But Jesus promises us soul-level rest, deep rest, a deep MOT for our souls, every single part of us, and how we think and who we are and how we live. He says, I will give you rest. I will restore you. And there's also a foreshadowing here to later in the Bible where Jesus promises us eternal rest. We think about people who pass away, we say rest in peace. There's a foreshadowing here of Jesus saying, people, if you trust in me and know me, you will know me for eternity. You will find rest in me and with me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus reassures us at the end of this passage that his yoke is easy. It is not something that will harm us or hurt us but it has a burden. And I think this is really important to remember when we look at this passage, because Jesus isn't saying, chill out, switch off, bury your head in the sand, ostrich yourself, live your life in some virtual reality metaverse. He's saying, no, your life has purpose and your life has calling. And there is a yoke for you and a burden for you and a purpose for you. He's saying that you matter. He's saying, let's go and do something together. Let's go and create something together. Let's go and use the skills that you've had. Let's go and use the things that I've given you to achieve something, to build something for my kingdom. Walking at his pace together. Knowing ultimately the yoke that Jesus carries for us is his cross, is his triumph over guilt and sin and death and shame. As we've seen with baptism and that marvelous resurrection into life and freedom. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but it is a yoke. 
and it is a burden and it does require us to partner with him. But you see, Jesus confronts us of our sin and our wrongdoing, but he doesn't condemn us or coerce us or force us. His words are hard, but they're not heavy. And the promise, this promise he gives in this passage is a result of him setting you free, not a result of you kind of earning your way into freeing yourself, breaking off your own yoke, beating the system and making your way out. This is about learning to become who God has made you to be, not earning your way into being a new person. Amidst all the other systems and competing noises and views of the world, Jesus says, I give you rest. He gives you an invitation not to a new religious system or a set of endless rules to keep, but to the heart of God. To lean into him, to partner with him and go at his pace, abiding in love and mercy. And Jesus' invitation is not to people that are unburdened, that have got it all figured out. Because frankly, they don't exist, do they? His invitation is to the tired, the disillusioned, the disheartened, the worn out, the burned out, the has-beens who have tried it all and have fought their hardest, but ultimately can't make it work on their own. That have been let down or failed by the things, the people, the jobs, the situations that they trusted to provide for them. Elsewhere, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come for righteous, the righteous, but I've come for sinners. Jesus doesn't say that you need to isolate yourself for five or six days, test negative on the sixth day, and then you can come to me. He says, come now in your sickness. Come now as you are. Come now whatever you're carrying and accept this invitation. Bring me your sickness, your pain, your frustration, your averageness, your normalness, your suffering, and receive my free gift of grace and mercy. Jesus invites us to trust him, to let him take off the yokes that we wear tightly around our necks and the burdens that have worn us down beaten us up to accept his guidance and direction. Jesus' desire is that you would find rest. He wants to show you mercy more than you want to receive mercy and give you rest more than you want rest. If you're hungry today, Jesus says, come and feast for I am the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he says, come and drink. I am the living water. If you can't see what to do next in your life and you're struggling with decisions, then come to him. He is the light of the world. If you're feeling locked out and excluded, Jesus says, I am the door and I will give you access to God. If you think that no one cares about you, if you think that no one notices you, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I take care of my sheep. I see you. I will tend to you. I will nurture you, know you, love you and protect you. If you don't know where to go, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you want to be successful and find real meaning in life, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Do you feel numb inside? Do you feel like you had old dreams or ideas or passions or visions that have died or disappeared? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And have you ever found religion boring and restrictive where Jesus turns water into wine and funerals into parties? You see, baptism is an all-in invitation. This whole thing that we're celebrating today is an all-in thing for our lives. When we dunked Josh and Rosie today, we didn't go into this pool and they didn't just put their little pinky finger in here and say, take this bit of me, Jesus. I'm not going to do much wrong with that. They put the whole thing, the whole body got submerged in this water. Their whole self went down in. They said, this whole element of my soul, Jesus, is yours. All of me is yours, Jesus. I put my trust in you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want to be yoked up to you, aligned to you. What Rosie and Josh said today is they don't want to be slaves or victims to a world that makes promises built built upon marketing slogans and that claims 
authority as a result of an incomprehensibly high share price. They've chosen to be friends of and led by the one that conquered death, that conquered guilt, that conquered shame, that conquered sin, and that declared life, freedom, honour and holiness. This decision to be baptised, to say no to the old life, the old yokes, the old operating systems, and to say yes to the new life of Jesus is an act of extraordinary rebellion and unequivocal trust. Jesus breaks off the old yokes in our lives and he chooses us, he invites us to take up the new ones if we journey with him. He doesn't promise us that life will be good or safe or easy, but he does promise that we'll be partnered up with him shoulder to shoulder, going into the battles that we face, going into the situations we face, partnered with the one who's conquered it all. So I'd like to invite you to stand where you are uh, at your seat. And hopefully underneath, on your seat earlier, you would have had one of these little lollipop sticks. If you haven't got one, there should be some on the spare seats around you. And um, sadly, we couldn't build a yoke for every single person here today, because as you can see, they're pretty, pretty big things. But I want you to just hold this thing in your hand. Just feel the, the wooden stick, feel its structure. And just imagine that this is like a bit of a yoke. Imagine that this is something that you're partnered with? What are the things in your life that you're choosing to put your trust in, your hope in? Just hold it out in front of you and just allow the thoughts of your mind just to wonder what the things that pop into your head are. This is something that I rely on. This is someone that I trust in. If you're here today and you think, you know what? This decision, this thing to let go of this old yoke and take up this new yoke with Jesus. I want a bit of that. I want in on that. Now we've got some spare clothes. We've got some towels. We'd love to give you the opportunity to respond through being baptised today or reaffirming your baptismal vows today. You Perhaps you just want to give yourself to Jesus afresh and say, Lord, I want to take your new yoke upon you. I want to let go of the things that are holding me back and weighing me down. Where you feel weary and burdened by the world. Jesus says, I am giving you a new yoke. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Jesus, is a, he's, he's, he comes to you and he's like a chiropractor, not a back scratcher. It is a painful process. It is a, oh, oh, oh. And he cracks out the old stuff and he puts on the newness. This isn't a nice fluffy, have a, have a day off, chill date with Jesus. This is soul medicine and heart surgery. Life redirection, surrendering and trusting to Jesus. Choosing to to respond to his invitation and come to him as you are and say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. So the guys are going to start leading us in worship and singing over us now. But I just want to encourage you as you're there holding on to this thing, just allow your mind to wonder, what are those things that I want to be taken off me? That I want to know the new yoke of Jesus, the new life of Jesus. So let's pray now. Jesus, I thank you that you give us a new way to do life. I thank you, Jesus, that in in being baptised, we choose to respond to your invitation and receive your free gift of grace and mercy. And God, today for for Josh and Rosie, we celebrate with them and celebrate the decision they've made. And God, we know that we can follow in their footsteps of putting our trust in you, of surrendering to you, of knowing you as our Lord and Saviour and our friend. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd speak to us. I ask that you'd reveal to us now the things in our lives and the places where you want to bring life and bring freedom. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen.